Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm Meredith Dancos. I'm the teaching pastor here. And we're continuing our series called Crazy Like Us. And we're exploring what is the church and what is this church in particular? What makes us unique? What makes us special? What does it mean to belong here, to be part of our crazy family? And today we're looking at one of our three core values, which is to be firmly grounded. So I want to share with you, there's a, there's a reporter. His name is A.J. Jacobs. And he's this immersive and reporter who does these like crazy experiments like for a season he outsourced his life and had like people in India email you know answer all his emails and his voicemails and read his kids bedtime stories and things like that but so he does these really weird experiments but he did this one that really stands out he decided for a year he was going to live according to the rules of the bible right all 700 rules of the Bible. Now, he's not a particularly religious guy. He's, he's secularly Jewish. He says, I'm like to Judaism like the Olive Garden is to uh, Italian, right? So, you know, he's not super, but super religious, but he wanted to, he was fascinated by the role of religion, but he was also concerned about the rise in fundamentalism. So he set out to live biblically for a year. And you can imagine this, that this created some comical um, interactions and circumstances. So one of the rules that he read in the Bible is that you're not allowed to shave the corners of your beard and he couldn't figure out what the corners of his beard was, so he just decided not to shave for a year. So by the end, it was like he had this huge, like, caveman beard. And then there's another rule um, where you're not allowed to wear mixed clothing, mixed fabrics in your clothing. You are all breaking rules today, I bet. So uh, it's, it's actually called an abomination in the Old Testament. And so he set out, he's like, okay, I'm only going to wear single fabric clothing. So he bought this cotton white long robe and cotton pants and he wore them all around New York City for a year. He, he stood out quite a bit, right? And then there's another rule that you're not allowed to sit. Men cannot sit in a seat where a menstruating woman has sat. And so his wife found this incredibly offensive. So she decided to sit in every single seat in their house. And so he had to go buy his own stool. And so he had this stool that he carried around with him everywhere. He sat on it in the subway and in his house, right? And then the best one, this one was just, I just thought, how, how crazy is this? He was, in, he was in Central Park one day, and a guy came up to him and said, why are you dressed like this? Because he was dressed all crazy. And so he started telling him about his you know, experiment that he was doing. And somehow or another, it came out that this guy that was talking to him was an adulterer. And the Bible says that you're supposed to, stone adulterers. So he actually had a, I'm not kidding about this, a, uh, a thing of pebbles that he was carrying around in his pocket for such an occasion, and he threw a pebble at the guy, right? Was not very popular at this. And you can begin to see, like, this is kind of a crazy experiment. And he was taking the Bible very literally, right? He was taking it very literally, but he found that that's really hard to do in modern day America. You start to look like a crazy person if you take the Bible that literally, if you try to follow all 700 rules. And he also found it was really hard to do that because there are some rules that don't match up, that don't line up. And so he, taking the Bible literally, uh, you have to kind of pick and choose what you're going to follow one way or another, because you can't follow it rule by rule by rule. And so we have a saying around here at The Rock, and it's this. We take the Bible far too seriously to always take it literally. Right? We take the Bible far too seriously to always take it literally, meaning we don't approach the Bible as a rule book. 
as a book that's that's all these rules and you're supposed to follow them and somehow like you're supposed to, it doesn't matter if you look like a crazy person in modern day America because we take it literally. We don't come at it by saying, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. We think the Bible's a little bit more complex than just a rule book. And Peter Enns puts it really well in his book, How the Bible Actually Works. And if this is a topic that you are interested in, if you've wrestled with the Bible, your relationship with the Bible, this is a book that I would highly recommend, How the Bible actually works. And he says this. He says, when we come to the Bible, expecting it to be an instruction manual intended by God to give us unwavering, cement-hard certainty about our faith, we are actually creating problems for ourselves because the Bible wasn't designed to meet that expectation. In other words, the problems we encounter when reading the Bible are really problems we create for ourselves when we harbor the misguided expectation that the Bible is designed primarily to provide clear answers. So what he's saying is if you come to the Bible and think this is a rule book, right, it, and I'm supposed to take it literally and follow everything that it says precisely, that's what it is, it's an instruction manual, well, it raises all these problems. Like, I don't know where the corner of my, beards are, my beard is, and so I don't know, should I shave or not shave, right? It's, it's not an instruction manual. It, has, it does have rules, and it does have guidance for us on how to live. I don't want you to hear that. You know, it's, it doesn't have any of that, but that's not its main point. And when we come at it with the wrong expectation, suddenly we have all these problems. So he goes on and he says this. Rather than providing us with information to be downloaded, the Bible holds out for us an invitation to join an ancient well-traveled and sacred quest to know God, the world we live in, and our place in it. Not abstractly, but intimately and experientially. See, the Bible is a book. It's not a rule book. It's a book of wisdom. It's a book that invites us to, to grow in wisdom, and not just wisdom in general. <clears throat> not just, you know, some, some platitude or, you know, the cultural understanding of wisdom. Wisdom as God tells us to be wise. Wisdom as we are in relationship with our creator, the one who made us, the one who made the world, the one who teaches us how to interact with each other, with creation, and with our creator. That is what the Bible is about. It's about knowing God, knowing ourselves, and learning how to live a life that is pleasing to God. And so, yes, are there guidelines and parameters and things in the Bible that we should follow? Absolutely, but it's not a rule book. It's an invitation. It's a relationship that's inviting us into. And so we're going to talk about wisdom today and what that means and, and why being firmly grounded and growing in wisdom is the call. But first, I want to talk about what is the Bible, right? Because some of you, you're totally familiar with the Bible. You've been reading the Bible forever. And some of you are like, I don't even really know what the Bible is. Because I remember I didn't grow up in the church. And so when I started, like, learning about the Bible, I didn't know any of it. I didn't know, like, well, who's King David and Who's Jesus and what's the difference between all these things? So I want to give us just a real broad overview of the Bible so that we know what we're talking about. So the first thing to know, the basics of the Bible, the first thing to know is that the word Bible means books, books or scrolls, because it wasn't given to us as one big book, right, and said, here's your Bible. It was lots of different scrolls and, and different texts that were eventually brought together. So that's what it means. It means books. And in the Bible, there are 66 books. Right? There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And some of you are like, oh, I, don't, I hear these words, but I don't know what they mean. So testament, the word testament 
means covenant. So sometimes you'll hear old covenant and new covenant, but we don't really make covenants nowadays. So you're probably, some of you might be wondering, I never really knew what the word covenant means. The word covenant is just a legal agreement. And when it comes to God, it's an agreement where God makes a promise, right? He says, I promise to do these things for you. And then there's some required conduct from God's people in order to receive those promises. So in the old covenant, the first covenant, the Old Testament, right, the first part of the Bible, it's called, sometimes it's referred to as the Hebrew Bible, right, because it's, it's the first part and it's written for the nation of Israel. So the first covenant, the old covenant, is, is God building a nation to stand out from all the other nations. And so God gives this nation these laws and these rules and says, you are supposed to be different. And then most of the Old Testament is all about first the law and then Israel trying to live out the law and getting it wrong all the time, right? Brexy KV, I love it. He says, the Old Testament is a story of what doesn't work, right? That humans are trying to hold up to these laws and the standard and they just keep falling short. Right, so that's the Old Testament. And there's, there's 39 books in the Old Testament, and then there's 27 books in the New Testament. And the New Testament is Jesus onward, right? So it's the new agreement with Jesus. And the new agreement isn't follow all these rules and we'll bless you, and if you don't follow these rules, then we'll curse you. The New Testament is the way to be right with God is to believe in Jesus. Jesus makes us right with God. And so the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, is context for the New Testament. It helps us understand who Jesus is. It helps us understand where Jesus came from, but they're different. They're different. And so we've got the Old Testament, we've got the New Testament, and then sometimes the New Testament is also called the Christian Bible. So you can have the Hebrew Bible, which is the, the main scriptures for the nation of Israel, and then the Christian Bible, which is Jesus onward, right? So that, that's, if you're wondering, Old Testament, New Testament, and sometimes you'll hear all of those things called the canon, right? And not like a cannon, like shoot a cannonball at people. The cannon, that word cannon means measuring rod. And so it was really just saying that they, they met the standard for what would be considered inspired scripture, what would be considered the word of God, okay? So that's, that's the Bible as a whole. But then along with that, we have uh, 40 authors in the Bible, 40 different authors. So the Bible is not some book that was just like descended from heaven and suddenly here you go, Right? There's, it's written over a long period of time. There's 40 authors, and it's incredibly diverse, the author. So some of them are farmers, and some of them are kings, and some of them are shepherds and doctors and, and uh, fishermen. And so we've got people from all across the way. And what's so cool about the Bible is even how it's written reveals the character of God because they're not these disembodied books. They're books that God has always partnered with humanity. And so there's personality in them, right? And there's story in them. And so there's this great diversity of who has written the Bible and how we got the Word of God. God has partnered with humans from the beginning of time. And so we've got this diverse group of authors, and then it's written in three languages. So in the Old Testament, we have Hebrew and Aramaic, and in the New Testament, we have Greek. And I've had to study these original languages, and I want to tell you, it is not like translating Spanish to English, right? It's not, it's not the same. These are really, I think God has the greatest sense of humor for the two languages that he's chosen. Because in Hebrew, the original Hebrew, there's no vowel pointing. There's no vowels, right? And then in the original Greek, there's no punctuation, right? And, and they, they, these languages operate totally differently. Hebrew, you read the opposite way. You know, Greek, they emphasize word emphasis. So, like, sometimes your verb can be the very last word in a very long paragraph, and your noun's kind of in there somewhere between. And so you can get the sense of what it's saying 
in the original languages, but it's not always easy to make it say that directly in English. But I want to dispel a myth out there, okay? Because there's this myth, and some of you might have heard this before, that the Bible's kind of like a big book of telephone, right? It's just been translated so many times and so many times, and we don't really know if this is what it really said, if this is accurate. And I want to tell you that is not true. Because actually, with the Bible, we are working with a number of original texts, original manuscripts that have incredible consistency across them. And so your English translations, if you pick up any English translation of the Bible, you will see that probably 99% of it is consistent. 99% of it is all the same, but there's some places where there's scholarly debate around, is, does the paragraph break here or not? Is there a period here? Does the period go here? This word has this kind of scope, and should it should we translate it over this way, or is it more over in this way? Some of them have weird sayings that were like, we don't, no one says that anymore, and we don't really know what that saying means, but here's our best guess. Right, so there is some scholarly discussion around nuance, but your English translations of your Bible are incredibly reliable, incredibly accurate. It is not a big game of telephone. It's not like we don't really know, we know, we know. So if you've been wondering that, there's that. And then, but here's the other thing. It was written over the course of 1,500 years, from the beginning to the end, 1,500 years. That's a really long time. And then it was written longer ago than that. So if I, the distance from me to King David, right, from all of us to King David is 3,000 years. Okay, I want you to think about the year 5019, right? We're in 2019 right now. Try to imagine what the world is going to be like 3,000 years from now. It's really hard to imagine, right? I mean, some of you have grown up and you've seen the world change incredibly from like, I remember that even when Steve and I got married 16 years ago, uh, we had a, a videographer and they, they offered us to have our, our wedding video on VHS or on DVD. And we're like, I don't know what a DVD is. So we're going to get VHS. And then a year later, VHS wasn't even available, right? So like in the course of 16 years, and now you DVDs, you're like, who even uses those? Everything's digital, right? And who buys movies anymore? You rent them. So the world has changed. Just thinking how much has changed in 16 years, right? Or in the course of your lifetime, the world has changed dramatically in, in that period of time even when the Bible was written, but also from us to now. And so there's things that we experience now as normal that the Bible could never imagine, like democracy, right? The Bible has no idea about democracy. It's all patriarchal and, mon and monarchy. That's, that's just the world it lived in. The world has changed, right? So we have to do some work with that. But it's an ancient book. It's not an irrelevant book, but it is an ancient book. You know, another example there is Jesus. Some of you know the statement where Jesus says, you know, the eye is a lamp to the body, right? And we all go like, oh, I don't really know what that means. But for them back then, eyesight, they, they didn't know that light came into your eye and then, you know, reflected back. They didn't know how eyes worked. They just thought it was like a lamp, you know, and lamps kind of looked like a head because there were two holes in it. And they thought all the light came from inside and it projected outward, right? So he's talking about eyesight the way that they understand I say, and we have to do some work with that. We have to get back into the way that they think. So it's not irrelevant, but it is ancient. It is different. The way that they saw the world is different than how we see the world, and we need to know that. And then just for fun, just for fun, this is the longest word in the Bible. I don't know how to pronounce that. You can all try, but I don't, I don't have, but there you go. If someone asks you what's the longest word in the Bible, you could say, maher shalal hashbaz. You know? So, okay. 
so that's some that's a basic broad broad brush overview of what's the Bible. Like what are we talking about when we even talk about that book, the Bible, right? But here's one of the challenges when it comes to reading the Bible is it is diverse and it spans a long period of time and too often we come at it as if it's flat as if it's all the same it's all on the same level and that's kind of like approaching a map like it's flat so i've been training for a marathon and a friend of mine is also training for a race so we've been talking running a lot lately and uh and he was telling me that he went for this run the other day and he mapped it out and it was a three mile run he thought no problem three mile run good looks easy this is what his map looked like right that doesn't look too bad, right? Except for once he started, and some of you know this because you're from this area, once he started running, he's like, oh, this is not a flat road. This is a giant hill, right? And so he's running uphill. And so he probably should have looked at the terrain. So here's a terrain map, right? Which kind of gives you a sense of like, oh, there, that's hilly, but there's an even better map. Let's put up the next map here. This map shows you, see that red line there? That's the elevation. That's the change in elevation, right? And suddenly you go, oh, that looks a whole lot different than the first map, right? And so approaching the Bible like it's flat is kind of like approaching a map like it's flat. And you miss the terrain because the terrain makes a great deal of difference, right, as to whether you're running on a flat road or a giant hill. And so there's some ways that we can add the terrain of the Bible, take that into account, right? And so there's four things that we take into account. The first is genre, right? Genre. And what, what I mean by that is what type of writing is it? Because there's lots of genre in the Bible. So there's poetry, and there's wisdom, and there's gospels, and there's letters, and there's a, apocalyptic writing, and they're all different. And if you don't know what you're reading, you can suddenly run into problems. For example, in the Psalms, it says, Lots of times that the earth is steady, that the sun rotates around the earth, right? And so Galileo came along and said, actually, I think the earth rotates around the sun. And the church was like, nope, Bible's very clear. This is what it says in the Psalms. So you are now a heretic. Like they judged him. They did a whole trial and judged him as a heretic. And then later they found out, oh, no, the earth rotates around the sun. But here's the thing. The Psalms are poems, right? They're poetry. And so you, it's not a science text. That's not what it's trying to do, right? It's not a textbook. It's poems. And so you got to know what type of writing you're reading to really understand what's the point here. Because we all know we approach poetry different than we do a science textbook, right? Okay. The next thing, the next thing that we can add some terrain to this, add some texture, is the author. Who wrote it? Who were they? When did they live? What were they like? You know, did Moses write it? Did David write it? Did a follower of Jesus write it? You know, who's the author? What relationship do they have to the people that they're writing to? And then you've got the context. What was happening during that time? You know, is Israel in trouble? And they're trying to tell them, you know, to knock it off. You know, is it that people are being persecuted and they're trying to encourage them? Is there a problem in the church? And so they're addressing it. You got to know what's happening in this. And then the fourth thing is the audience. Who is hearing it? How do they think? What, what would they understand those words to mean? And here's the great thing. In almost every Bible that you can pick up right now, they'll do all this work for you. Right in the beginning of any book that you read, it'll just break that down for you. And it'll tell you just in a, a page, maybe two, a couple paragraphs, it'll give you a sense of what are you reading, right? What are you reading so you can understand it better? But above all this, you know, if you get lost, if you're out in the wilderness and you get lost, 
the best advice they give you is get to high ground, right? Get to high ground so you can get your bearings. And for us, when it comes to being firmly grounded, when it comes to the Bible, our high ground is Jesus. Our high ground is Jesus. That's where we go above all things. If we're adding terrain into the Bible, right, the highest terrain point is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. That's where we get our bearings. And the scripture tells us this, right? And so we read this. In Colossians, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Stop right there. Christ, Jesus, is the, invis- is the visible image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God looks like, what God thinks, what God cares about, what God's personality, character, you look at Jesus because God is visible in Jesus. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For in God, all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So Jesus existed before everything else. Jesus is the clearest picture that we have of God. In Hebrews, it says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus is our ultimate revelation of God. Jesus is our high ground. Sometimes, and you should try this, if you're ever reading your Bible and you see the word Jesus, you can just like kind of cross out in your mind and put the word God, right? God said, God did, God thinks, God reacted, right? Because if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. That's our best picture. Jesus is our high ground. And so, you know, in, because here's the thing, in the Old Testament, there's lots of principles that we can grab from it, but there are lots of people that they're not the point. They're not the example. You should not do what they're doing, right? And so if, if something that you read in the Old Testament is in disagreement to something that Jesus says, Jesus is the high ground. Jesus is the trump card, right? So if the Old Testament says, go and kill all your enemies, and Jesus says, no, you don't kill your enemies, you don't even hate your enemies, you love your enemies, and pray for them and forgive them, you go to Jesus, right? That's our high point. That's our highest ground because that's our clearest picture of who God is, is Jesus. And so Bruxy Cavey says it really well because we don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus. And he says this, he says, we read the Bible because it is the best God-given window through which we get a clear view of Jesus, who is God's ultimate self-disclosure. The Bible is not a picture to be looked at, but a window to be looked through. And through that window, we see Jesus. Now hear this. This is one of my favorite lines ever. Christ followers believe in the inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word of God, and his name is Jesus. Right? Jesus is the word of God. And the Bible captures that. The Bible captures the revelation of God. The Bible shows us the teachings of Jesus. It, it shows us how Jesus acted. And so we can't worship Jesus apart from the Bible. We need the Bible. We need the capturing of the revelation of Jesus. But Jesus is who we worship. Jesus is the word of God. Even when you read in the New Testament over and over again, the word, the logos, the word of God, more often than not, they are talking about Jesus and the teachings of Jesus because he didn't have the Bible, the book that we have, right? They're talking about the teachings of Jesus. And so if we want to know if, if the Bible is this invitation to wisdom, and wisdom is relationship with God, it's following God, it's being in relationship with God, learning how to live rightly with our creator, with one another, and with creation, 
We do that through Jesus. And, and this is what the scripture says about that. It says, God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. God made Jesus to be wisdom itself. If you want to know what wisdom is and what wisdom looks like, you look at Jesus, right? Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and freed us from sin. So wisdom, wisdom doesn't just happen because you read the Bible, right? I have met many people who know way more facts about the Bible, have memorized way more scripture about the Bible. They know, they know lots of things about the Bible, way more than me. And I went to seminary. I've been doing this professionally for a long time. They know all the things, and they're still a jerk, right? Have you met those people where you're like, they know a lot about the Bible. They're not a very nice person, right? Because they kind of miss the point. Because wisdom doesn't come from just reading words. That's not how we get wisdom. Wisdom comes from living a life with Jesus. See, Knowing lots about the Bible but not actually gaining wisdom is kind of like, I met this guy once who, he was very proud of this. He told me how he went to school and he got a music degree, but he never learned an instrument. And, he was, and I was like, what? Why would you get a music degree and never learn an instrument? He's like, because I wanted to be the worship leader at my church and make sure we sang all the right words, right? And you think, that is important. We should pay attention to the words that we sing. Like they, that is important. Music is prayer, right? And so what we say matters. But is that not an adventure and missing the point, right? You're like, music, worship is more than just the words that we're saying, the accurate words, right? There's something that stirs us. We are created to respond to music, right? It's meant to move us. Like your emotions are not a bad thing. God, they're not a mistake. They're part of how God designed you. And so we can miss the whole point with what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to, to, to actually be in relationship with the Bible because we think it's all about knowing the right things when really it's about knowing the right person because wisdom happens as we follow Jesus. But we don't know how to follow Jesus apart from the Bible. We need the teachings of Jesus to know how to follow Jesus. And Jesus brings this tension about for us. So I'm gonna, let's go to a teaching of Jesus. First, let me give you a little context. So Jesus has been teaching um, we're going to look at this in the Gospel of Luke, but he's been, he's been teaching to his disciples in a large crowd. And in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Luke, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. Because in Matthew, they recorded it when he, he gave it on a mountain. And in Luke, they recorded it when he gave it on a plain. Because this is like, I call it Jesus' greatest hits, right? This would be Jesus' main sermon, and he would have taught this a lot. Right? It wasn't like, it was just one time. He, this is like when he goes to town, to town, to town, and he's teaching as one with authority, this is what he would have been teaching. So it's just captured in two different contexts. But in both of them, both of them, he ends it with the same story, the same metaphor, the same analogy. And he says this. He says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well-built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. And so the, the point that Jesus is making here is that faith is more than just words. It's more than just saying the right things. Faith is demonstrated through obedience. Timothy demonstrated through obedience. So he says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? And that's important because when you ever, whenever you see a double name in the scripture, that's like 
bright light highlighter, pay attention, right? And so to say, Lord, Lord, Lord is more than teacher. It's more than rabbi. It's someone who has authority. It's someone who has deep respect. So he's saying, why are you coming to me and saying, I have authority in your life? I am someone that you respect, but you're not doing what I say. You know, and to do, to do means to commit to it. You know, and what he says, what he's teaching, right? So you're not committing to what you're actually hearing. You're, you're saying the right things, but you're not doing the right things, what I teach, what I advise, what I command. And so he gives these two pictures. And in Matthew, he actually names them, one person is wise and one person is foolish. And he says the wise person is the person who does three things. They do three things. They come to me, they listen to what I say, and they follow it. And so to come to Jesus is to seek him out, right? It's not just to stumble upon him. It's actually to seek him out. So that, the first thing the wise person does is seek out Jesus, but then not just, not just to hear, but to listen. And to listen means to consider, to comprehend, to understand, right? So it's not that you just hear the words, that they actually want to understand what Jesus is doing. They want to comprehend it so that they might follow it. And that means to actually do it, to go and put it into action. And so he says that faith is actually obedience and action put together. And what's really cool is there, he uses present tense verbs. He says, it is someone who is coming to me, listening to me, and following me. It's an ongoing activity. This is what wisdom is. And it's like digging down and bil building your house on a foundation. It's hard work, right? You have to work at it. But, but you know what needs to be done, and you actually do it. And he contrasts that with the foolish person. And what's cool is in that, it's all past tense. He says, the foolish person is the person who heard what I said and didn't do it. Right? They heard it, and they didn't actually act on it. They have not acted. And so they're like building a house without a foundation. They just build it on the ground. But here's the thing. The, the floodwaters hit both houses, right? It's not, well, if you're wise, then the floodwaters won't hit your house, and you'll be fine. It's the floodwaters hit both houses. And floodwaters are unpredictable and unplanned, right? If you knew a flood was going to show up two years from now, then you would plan for it. But floodwaters, unpredictable, unplanned, especially back then because they didn't have weather patterns that we have, right? And so they just came out of nowhere. And, and you can't plan for them. You can't predict them. But floodwaters are really quickly going to reveal whatever your foundation is, right? Really quickly going to show, did you, did you do the work and dig down deep and you're actually living the life that Jesus asked you to live, or did your house get swept away? Have you been living wisely, or have you been living foolishly? This is the picture that Jesus gives, and he says, it is not enough to hear the right things. It is not enough to read the right things. It is not enough to know the right things. You have to do the right things. Don't come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say. And so what is it that he, that he says that we should do? Because this is the end of the sermon. And so here's some of the things that Jesus says in that sermon. He says, love your enemies and do good to them. Rejoice in persecution and rejection. Pray for those who mistreat you. Turn the other cheek. If they take your coat, give them your shirt. If someone takes something, don't demand it back. Lend to your enemies and don't expect anything in return. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Forgive. Remove the plank from your own eye before you start going after the speck in your neighbor's. Out of the overflow of your mouth speaks your heart. Out of the overflow of your heart speaks the mouth. And uh, be aware of the type of fruit your life is producing. And why? Why all of this? Because this is how God treats you. Forgive because God forgives you. Love because God loves you. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't give us a bunch of rules to follow. I don't know about you, 
but I've never had anyone come to me and ask me to walk a mile carrying their armor. Have you? Have you had anyone do that? Have you had anyone come up to you and say, give me your coat? And you're like, okay, and here's my shirt too, right? You ha- I've never had this happen. Jesus isn't giving us rules. Jesus, us, Jesus is giving us examples. He's giving us examples of an ethic to live out. It's not about rules. Rules, see, this is what Andy Stanley says. Rules are easy to bend and break, right? Have you ever, like, talked with a high schooler, and they're trying to figure out, like, well, how close can I get to the line before I cross the line? Like, how, how, like, how, how late can I stay out before I've technically broken curfew, you know? Or how far is too far? Because I'm just trying to figure out how close I can get to the rule before I break the rule. And rules you can bend and you can break. And because rules aren't wisdom. Jesus isn't telling us what to do. He's teaching us a way to live. And Andy Stanley puts it really well because Jesus changes the whole game. He says, this isn't about rules. It's about this. The question that we are supposed to ask as we, as followers of Jesus is, what does love require of me? And there's no loophole in that question, right? What does love require of me? What is the most loving thing that I am to do right now. That's all Jesus is showing us. That's the ethic of what we are to live in. As a Christian and as a Jesus follower, this is what wisdom looks like. To live out this question, to ask this question in every situation. With this coworker, what does love require of me? With my spouse, what does love require of me? With my family, what does love require of me? With this perfect stranger that I'm on the phone and it's customer service and I'm getting really annoyed, what does love require of me? Right? That's the ethic. That is the essence of wisdom. And so living out this question is the way of wisdom, and it cannot be boiled down to a set of rules, right? The Bible is not a set of rules. We take it too seriously to always take it literally. Peter N. says it like this, reading the situation, not simply the Bible, is what wisdom is all about. Knowing what to do is much more than reading words on the page. It's about learning to read the moment, those day-to-day gray situations that befall us without forewarning, like how to handle nasty comments or what to spend your money on. See, the day-to-day, that's where wisdom is lived out. That's where faith is lived out. Jesus says, don't keep calling me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I say, if you don't commit yourself to what I've actually taught you, how I've taught you to live, not the rules, but the way in which to live. The way in which I've called you to be in the world. What does love require of me? And it's the everyday situations of life that demonstrate whether we're living foolishly or wisely. Whether we're actually building our lives on the teachings of Jesus or we're just hearing it but not actually doing it. Because that's the distinction between a wise and a foolish person. And that's the relationship that Jesus invites us into. And we need the Bible to know how to do that. Because if if you're not digging hard and working on the foundation right now, when life gets stormy, that's when your house starts falling down. You know, but when life gets stormy, that also shows if you've been building your foundation on the teachings of Jesus. So I experienced this when one of the bigger storms in my life hit. So I had taken a job and moved, moved a considerable distance to start at a new church. And the majority of the people welcomed me and it was wonderful. But within the first week, there started to be some grumbling. And we we're like, well, we didn't think it was that big of a deal at first. But it started to grow. And within two weeks, we realized that a group of people had somehow gotten the church directory, and this is a large church, and sent out 
blind copied emails to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people saying all sorts of mean and nasty things about me. And I'd never met these people before, right? I, I couldn't have pointed them out in a crowd. They went through um, a blog that I had written for over 10 years and started taking things out of context. And it was just really mean and really, really um, hurtful in that season. And, and I, was, I was rightfully angry. You know, I was, I was hurt by what was going on because it was unjust and it wasn't fair and it didn't feel right. Um, and we brought it to the staff. And the staff was really hurt and angry and upset about how our congregation was acting. It was a small group, but small groups can, you know, create all sorts of problems. And um, what was so amazing is because, with, because we had been doing the, the small work of continually digging our life on the teachings, founding our lives on the teachings of Jesus, of learning to forgive when we didn't want to forgive, of learning to be kind when we didn't necessarily feel like being kind, in this moment where we were hurt and worried and concerned, the staff, we all stopped and we prayed for this group of people. And not just, I mean, we prayed that they would stop, but we also prayed for them. We started to think something, hurting people hurt others, right? So something's going on in their life. So God, we pray for healing in their life. And we pray for reconciliation. And I have to tell you that I would not have been able to get there had I not already been building my life on the foundation of Jesus, right? When the big storms hit, if you haven't been doing the little work, you're not going to rise up to your best self in, in the big storm, right? And, and, it, and it grew. It, it, this, it got more out of hand, and they, they wouldn't stop, and eventually the, the church board had to get involved, and the bishop had to get involved, and they were trying to get me fired, and they didn't even, I'd never met them. They never said a word to me. And so we had this big meeting, and at the end, you know, when I finally was like, oh, here's the person who's really causing all this trouble, I went up and I introduced myself and actually shook my hand, shook his hand, you know, and said, hello, this is who I am. It is nice to meet you. And it's not because I agreed with what they were doing or because I wanted to be spiteful, but I needed to be reminded this person is a child of God and God loves them even if they are acting like my enemy. God has called me to love and forgive my enemies. But I'm not telling you that story because I'm so great. I'm telling you that story because the only reason I was able to do that is because in my day-to-day -day life, I've learned to forgive my husband when he hurts my feelings. And I, yeah, some of you are like, I gotta work on that. Um, you know, I've, I've learned to say sorry to my daughter when I'm wrong. I've learned to be generous in my words and with my finances and with my actions in the small ways. You know, I've, I've learned to temper my behavior in, in all the small instances. And that is what it looks like to to dig down deep, to lay a foundation with Jesus, is that it wisdom grows over time. It grows over time. It's not instantaneous. It is that we keep coming, we listen, and we learn. And so how do we become people who are firmly grounded? What does that look like here at The Rock? How, how do you become someone who is firmly grounded? How do I keep growing in, as someone who is firmly grounded? And we do the three things that Jesus says is the same three things. We come to him, we listen to him, and we follow him, right? And so what does it look like to come to Jesus? Because remember, that's to seek Jesus out. It's not to stumble upon him. It's to seek him out. It's to seek him out. It's to be intentional about being in relationship with him. Dallas Willard says, you know, discipleship is spending time with Jesus, learning from Jesus, how to be like Jesus, right? That's what it means to seek him out. And so it's intentionally seeking Jesus out in your life and making space for him, just like any other relationship. And there's, there's a couple ways to do that. The first is to come to church, is to come to church. Because this is a place where you're regularly learning about the teachings of Jesus, where we're doing the terrain work 
for you, where we're, we're bringing the wisdoms and the teaching of Jesus out. And here's the, here's the reality. Someone who considers, in, in modern day, someone who considers themselves a regular church attender, attends church 1.25 times a month, right? 1.25 times a month. That's some of you, and I'm not here to shame you about that. But I want you to think, if you do anything else 1.25 times a month, do you really do that, right? Like, if you work out 1.25 times a month, do you exercise regularly? Are you a regular exerciser? No, right? If you read 1.25 times a month, you're not a regular reader. If you eat healthy 1.25 times a month, you are not a healthy eater, right? And so making time for Jesus is important. And so if you are 1.25 times a month, I'm going to challenge you to make this more consistent, to make this more regular. See, Andy Stanley talks about coming to church, and he says, you know, it's like, it's like meals, right? Every once in a while, you, you have a, you've had a meal that you remember, right, that like changed your life. That was so incredible, and you could still talk about it now, and you remember it. But the reality is, most days, you eat normal meals, right, that keep you alive. The fact that you are sitting here, and all of you look pretty well-fed, right, that you've had n- normal nutrition in your life. And he says, coming to church and hearing the teachings of Jesus is like having normal nutrition week after week after week making it part of your regular steady diet. Because if you are only hearing the teachings of Jesus 1.25 times a month, it's really hard to build your life on that foundation. So one of the ways to seek him out is to be a regular church attender. And that's especially important when we think about children and students, right? For them to have, to have consistent understanding of Jesus, to be hearing and hearing the teachings of Jesus, but also to be to being loved by adults who follow Jesus. You know, because there's a lot of examples out there, but the church is a really special place for your kids to have great examples and people who care about them in a way that is, that is remarkable. Because everywhere else, it's merit-based, right? If you're on a sports team, it's because you're good enough to be in the sports team. If you're on the band, you're good enough to be in the band. But here, it's because you're loved by God, because you're a child of God. We love you. And so do that for your kids as well. Let them have that steady diet of being being with Jesus. And then another way to do that is to actually read your Bible, right? To seek Jesus out is to read your Bible. And some of you have no idea where to start with that. Maybe you've never read your Bible. Some of you are like, the Bible's so confusing, and it is. There's a lot of weird stuff. I mean, remember, it was written like over a span of 1,500 years ago, and it's really old, right? So there is some weird stuff in the Bible. We have some resources to help you. So if you today feel like, I don't know how to read the Bible, I don't know how to seek God out, I don't know how to do that, swing by the welcome area, and we've got some things to get you started on how to read the Bible, right? So if that's something that would be helpful to you, then, then that's a great way to do that. The second thing is to listen to him. And here, listening is active, right? Listening, is, it's not just like hearing the words and letting them fall out your head. It's trying to comprehend them. It's seeking understanding. And so two ways to listen, to grow in listening. One is to join a group to join a group, because that's where you start to actually talk about what you're learning and, and what it looks like and exploring faith and really trying to understand together where you'll get to work out your own questions but also hear other people's insights. And the way we're doing groups this fall is through Alpha, right? And Alpha is an awesome place for you to seek out and seek understanding because it's a place for you to ask questions. It's a place for you to explore faith. Whether you've been a Christian for a really, really long time And you need a refresher of like, okay, wait, who really is Jesus? And why did Jesus die? And what does it mean to pray? Or if you're brand new to faith or you're just looking into it and you've never taken a step of faith, this is an awesome opportunity for you to explore that with other people. So I would highly encourage you to join a group or join a serving team, 
you know, and get to be connected with other people. And then another way to grow in listening is prayer. And too often, we treat prayer kind of like a laundry list, like, okay, here's my checklist, God, I'm telling you all the things that I want, amen, done. But part of prayer is learning to listen to what it is that God wants to say. And one of the best ways to do that, because some people are like, I don't know how long I'm supposed to sit here quietly and hope that there's a voice in my head or that God says something. One of the best ways to pray responsibly with God is through reading your Bible. Right? As you're reading a story, sometimes a line will catch you, and you can stop and just pray through that line and say, you know, maybe it's about being kind, and you're like, God, actually, I'd like to grow in kindness. Or maybe it's a word of encouragement, and you, and you want to just pray that into your life. Or maybe it's a word of challenge, and you want to ask God to lean into that with you. But to use Scripture to help you listen and respond. Those are some ways to listen. And, and then lastly, um, oh, and I want to stop right there real quick, because here's the thing with, with Scripture is, it does help us grow in wisdom. And, and one of the things that's really important is that you keep coming back to, does what I'm hearing and what I'm thinking line up with the revelation of God? So for example, I had someone come into my office. I've had this happen more than once, but I'll use you know, this one person that comes to mind. Come into my office and say, I'm feeling like I'm supposed to leave my spouse for this other person. This person is my, my soulmate over here. and so I'm supposed to end this marriage and go marry. I made a terrible mistake. And I was like, okay, well, the first thing, you know, you got all your feelings, which are, you know, they're, they're your feelings, they're what you feel, but we need to line that up with what does, what does God actually say about marriage? And what does God say about fidelity? And what does God want for your marriage? Because that is not in line with scripture, right? And so part of the way we listen to God is that we go back to what does scripture tell us? What are the teachings of Jesus? What does he say about this? Because if it's in contradiction to it, then it's not in line with God's will, right? And so scripture helps us listen to God's leading in our life, and we don't just go off on our own whim, because that's, that's not what God wants for you, is to just tank your marriage and jump to the next person. That, that's not what marriage is. And the last thing is to follow him, and that is this, that's the process of digging this foundation. It's work. You actually have to do it. It's acting on what he says, and it's doing the small things, right? It's doing the small things. It's forgiving when you don't want to forgive. It's choosing to be honest when it might be easier to lie. It's choosing to be kind when you feel frustrated. It's putting that into practice. And, and so there's a resource that we want to, want to give you today. As you leave today, some of you might have already picked it up, but as you leave today, there's this handout, and it's called The Guiding Principles. And this is based off the fruit of the Spirit, the nine fruit of the Spirit that we see. And and this is, as a staff, we have been trying to live this out, collectively and individually. And so it talks about, you know, just love, we value and serve others, joy, we cultivate a positive atmosphere, peace, we resolve conflict quickly and appropriately, patience, we are slow to anger and respond thoughtfully, kindness, we treat all people with dignity and respect, goodness, we act and speak with honesty and integrity, faithfulness, we commit to continued generosity and genuine relationships, gentleness, we extend grace and believe the best about others, and self-control, we exercise restraint and are mindful of the impact of our choices. This is part of what it looks like to actually put the teachings of Jesus into practice every day to say, what does it look like to be a person of peace? What does it look like to act out of love? What does it look like to be gentle in my words and my actions? And so we're, we have these for you to, to help you actually start to say, what is, what's the first step that I can take? Start living these principles out. Let these be your guiding principles day in and day out. Because that's how we become firmly grounded. That's how we grow in wisdom. Because we come to Jesus, we listen to him, and we do what, he's, and we do what he says. And here's the thing. 
There is nothing else that even matches the Bible that helps us learn how to follow Jesus. The Bible captures the teachings of Jesus, the ethic of Jesus, the person of Jesus. And so we need the Bible to be in right relationship with Jesus. But it is following Jesus that helps us ground ourselves in wisdom and to grow. And we don't do this alone. So next week we're going to talk about how we collectively grow together, what that looks like, why we need one another. And so I hope that you'll come back and bring a friend and help them learn what does it mean to be part of this community right now. But let's pray. Gracious God, thank you that you have given us a resource to know you. Lord, that you have made yourself visible through the person of Jesus and that you had faithful witnesses capture that, that revelation for us, Lord. That you had people show us what you were like and, and show us what you care about, capture your words and your teachings, Lord, and, and those who have worked out what it means to live that out in community. So God, help us to grow in our reverence and our respect for your word. Help us to, to seek out wisdom and relationship with you through the Bible, Lord, that we would be people who come to you, who understand, seek understanding, and that we act out the way in which you have called us to live. Equip us to be your followers in the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite us to stand up and respond in worship, and we're going to sing about what a beautiful name the name of Jesus is, the power in the name of Jesus.